0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well the Otago Magic Circle is celebrating its 65th anniversary this year and my guest this morning uh, Murray Craig has been writing a book about that the Otago Magic Circle, a history of mystery to celebrate that wonderful achievement. Uh, all sorts of things have been discovered along the way. I thought we'd take a moment to catch up with uh, Murray. Uh, nice to have you with us Murray, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. There's a big story to be told here, and um, no doubt a lot of it has surprised you a long way, but maybe we'll start with you first. and in your interest in magic, when did that begin for you?
1: Oh, well, I, I'm one of the, surprisingly, one of the older members, although I'm one of the younger members. Um, I started around about 1978 and have been in the club uh, coming up 50 years in about three or four years' time. Um. Uh, But I've been a a performer around town. Uh, My time really was in the 90s to the 2000s. Uh, very very busy and covering
0: most of the South Island Can you can you point to a time when you decided that magic was something you wanted to explore, I'm, I'm imagining that there was some performance or other that uh, caught
1: your eye You're dead right, in fact uh, just round the corner from the studio it used to be, uh, before Farmers, it was at Haywrights um, upstairs there was a magician performing and of course I was one of the kids that uh, I certainly don't like today as a performer, but call, someone that called out all the time the magician took me aside afterwards and said, well, you know, if you want to go home and make it, you know, you could do some magic.
0: Like you reckon you, you knew how he was doing it. Uh, yes, that's right. So, um,
1: so my father took me to the public library, again, just round the corner from here, and uh, we got some books out, and that's really where it started. I joined the magic circle uh, probably four or five years later after performing for a family friend who
0: knew a magician. And why join? What was... What was the reason behind uh, establishing that kind of collegiality?
1: I think magicians, uh, we're we're an unusual bunch. I mean, like anyone, we're sort of scared, but also we want to be liked by people. And in a way, performing magic, people always want to know how was that done. And having a mystery that you're not allowed to tell makes it more interesting. Not many hobbies you do these days where you don't tell someone how something works or how something's done.
0: But I guess within the inner circle, as it were, you're free to discuss what you like. Correct. But even in the circle, at times,
1: if you've got a trick that's rather unique, you may not give the secret away.
0: I imagine you've had a lot of fun over those years, and there have been a lot of magicians who have come and gone.
1: Yes, yeah. Certainly uh, in my book that I wrote, um, there's rather a large section. all, All of the older members disappeared all at the same time, which was a bit of a blow, but now the club is a totally different club from the one that, you know, obviously originally started. But it's been sad to see people go, and certainly one of them was Richard Walls, the founder of our club, the present club, when he was only 20 years old.
0: Yes, 20 years old. Um, How is it these days? Are there younger magicians uh, involved? Um, We've had a few,
1: over the last 10, 15 years, we've had young people come in, but unfortunately either sports or girls or both, <laughs> tend to take priority. And I know several other clubs of different, uh, different types of clubs have the same problem uh, attracting young people. But certainly uh, I've spoken with a few who were young members just recently and they're keen to come back again and join.
0: As a performer yourself, you're able to talk about the magic of magic, if you like, um, the, the impact that it has on an audience. What can you tell us about that? I think, I
1: mean, even magicians like to be fooled. And I think, you know, for the general public, if, if we like something, we don't understand how it works or why it works. If we can perform that same trick for the audience, we then realise the sort of impact it's going to have on them. Uh, if I can give a quick example, we had a, a birthday party many years ago, around about the 80s, and uh, we were at the old pizza hut out South South Dunedin. And a glass, a wine glass... I don't know why there was a wine glass but there was a wine glass and it fell over, broke and um, the lady came to take the pieces away but the magician sitting opposite me picked up the two pieces, the base and the, the, the glass rubbed his finger over it and rejoined the two, gave it to the girl and she took it away and of course needless to say most of the people in Pizza Hut were you know, scratching their heads but it was one that I had never seen before and equally I was very, very impressed so.
0: Yeah, and it's ever-evolving, I imagine. You continue to be impressed by what people are coming up with in terms of developing their acts and so forth?
1: Yeah, certainly with TV today, uh, we see a lot of acts from overseas, things that we never used to see in the past because of social media and so on. Um, But yes, I've always said to people that, in fact, to make things appear, disappear or transpose, there's really only about 10 or 12 ways that you can do it. Um, but with modern technology, there are things that can be done now that certainly couldn't be done 20, 30 years ago. Um, but really, a lot of them just apply to the same principles that we've always been taught in the magic club. And uh, you've sometimes mixed two or three up, and it makes it harder to work out.
0: Practice, 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 right?
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, it it is, I mean that's what makes a good performer and certainly someone starting out if you stand on a corner, street corner uh, usually in a fair or a a function, uh, a festival um, that constant practice you've got doing the same trick over and over and over again you've got a different audience you can refine your patter, your story and of course the magic itself
0: Among the magicians that you know are they primarily... um Working up an act as it were So that they can be in public performance Or are there people who just do it Maybe for dinner parties A couple of friends (laughs) Uh, Yes well
1: certainly our own club We've got 11 current members Um, We've varied from about 20 down to probably the smallest ever. We had three at a meeting. (laughs) Um, But uh, of those members, probably half to three quarters are active and are out there doing stuff now and always learning, always refining. Um, The remainder myself now included, I sort of retired from performing. um, But we still attend the club and we do perform at the club. We have a theme each night and so we're sort of uh, forced if you like, <laughs> forced in quotes, uh, to go along and perform the, the topic of the night.
0: And so we come to this important year, the 65th anniversary uh, of the Otago Magic Circle and the responsibility has fallen to you to document that, uh, how did that come about?
1: Well, yes, it it was all due to a book that was discovered at one of our magicians who passed away, a friend of myself, equally a magician. We were asked to clean out the house, only of the magic gear. And um, going through it, we found a rather large tome or book, uh, five kilograms in weight, massive. I've never seen a book like it. And I thought it was the magician's uh, history. We all have a scrapbook, but not as good as that one. Um, So I took it home, and a few months later, I opened it up and found it wasn't his book. In fact, it was another magician who i had heard the name, but I wasn't familiar with, and he was the founder of the first club in Dunedin called the Otago
0: Magical Society. Which preceded Preceded the magic circle. Yes, correct. And that magician's name was? Uh, Tommy R. Thompson. What can you tell me about him?
1: Well, he he's an interesting chap. He he was born and raised and died in Dunedin here. He worked at King Edward Technical College. He, he didn't become a professional magician, but during World War what was it? World War 2 um, Or was it World War oh, anyway, one of the World Wars, he um, he went over to England and of course he worked in he was in the war in France and other places, but in England he would go and visit uh, famous magicians in the large halls. But not only did he watch, he went and met the people, and those same people actually came back to Dunedin to visit uh, him. So he, he was quite a pr- prestigious magician. He um, built a lot of his stuff with the King Hubert Technical College <laughs> workshop, of which he was the woodworker, and um, became a very polished performer. Mm-hmm. He then founded the club, and they had a club rooms in Ment Street upstairs, uh, the old Arkwright shop that's currently falling to pieces. Um, But he built a stage there, and they would have uh, public shows regularly. They'd raise money for organisations. And the club had around about 10 to 15 people, Um, but he was the first president of the club and also became a, a London Magic Circle member which is very hard to get into, an inner circle member, as it's called. Um, And he was the first in New
0: Zealand to achieve that rank. And so what is contained in this tome that you discovered? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, It was mainly newspaper clippings, and that's why I thought it was the uh, first magician's book. Um, but when I opened it up and saw that underlined was this man called Tommy Thompson, he had underlined every newspaper clipping with his name to show who it was, um... I was impressed with the size of the book because, to be honest, he was doing more work than a lot of the professional magicians up north or even here in town uh, do. We were entertained in different ways in I, those times? Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic read and, of course, because of the way the articles were written, uh, you've got to remember some of these articles went back to 1911 um, up to around about 1957, somewhere around there, um, so yeah, I mean it was a great bit of history itself, looking at the way things were written, but also the photos, and a lot of people I'd never heard of, and our cl- current club members had no idea of either. And
0: to that point, you had no idea that this even existed. No,
1: no. I mean I don't know why the member who passed away had never told us <laughs> he had this book. Um, I might add that equally, in amongst the same magician's gear, there was a large shotgun. Um, and one of the in our club uh, there was a member who used to catch a bullet between his teeth Uh, well a we never knew he had the gun uh, but we found it while clearing out his house and so unfortunately it had to be handed in to the police and um, they were quite amazed at it but uh, it uh, yeah it was a beautiful piece
0: so it's attracted not only your interests and the interests of those in the Otago Magic Circle, but mm. of course um, the Hocken Library too. This is an yes. amazing piece of history. Yes, yes.
1: Well, actually, we've, we've done quite well, really, because the, the Hocken certainly accepted a copy of the book and the tome, the large book. Um, they were most impressed, and I see it's already online and ready to be read by other people. Um, but equally, the New Zealand National Library um, have received uh, two copies of the book, my book, and uh, the other one is the McNabb Library at the, uh, the Dunedin Public Library. They've also got a copy. Um, the book, also, my book, also went to Auckland and Australia, so people over there have seen it, and Auckland have been so impressed with the quality of the book and the information contained within it, they now want to use it as a benchmark for their 80th anniversary.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about your book, because Mm we talked about uh, what you've discovered with uh, Tommy Thompson's book. Um, What approach have you taken with putting this history together? What what did you want to achieve with it? Hmm.
1: Well, it it did start with Tommy Thompson's book, for a start. I rang the Hocken Library to find out more information about this mysterious group I knew nothing about. They had no information. So I realised this was a chance to write something down. But again, I thought it was just going to be a small booklet... At the same time, I suddenly realised our own um, minutes and so on, information that we had about the famous shows we used to perform in 1957 also needed recording. So I suddenly realised that really I could merge the two um, different societies together and do a history of the magic clubs of Dunedin. Um, But I also inherited five or six different magicians' uh, scrapbooks so between all of those, it was a, a mad rush to sort everything into years um, and then sort of try and find a story. And luckily with a few people still alive, I was able to get real life stories of things that happened that weren't in the newspaper articles, so some of the behind the scenes, which is what has made the book more interesting than a, uh, just a copy of, you know, a circle minutes
0: well documented with photos and so forth
1: every page has photos uh, a lot in colour a lot in black and white lots of clippings Um, Things that are interesting and people have commented who have read the book that in fact the text marries up quite nicely with the pictures. So sometimes the pictures tell a thousand words.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it like a chronological document or are you focusing on individuals and telling their stories? Yeah,
1: well it's sort of two parts. I mean one part of it is the, the minutes, so it's in sequential order of how the club was founded, our current club. Um, and then the people involved. Then there were photos of famous magicians arriving in Dunedin just one year after the club was founded. And so there were photos, so the photos are put in. Then we've got the newspaper articles telling stories that aren't told by the minutes. Um, and then as the st- thing progresses, each of the people almost become a character in the story. or oh, Not in the story, in the, in the book. Um, I mean myself I mean I started but I don't do much (laughs) at the start but then I became the president we had our 40th anniversary and the celebrations around that Um, and then it sort of it ties up but of course like everything we're only at a certain point in time of our club it hasn't finished yet so really the the ending is open but uh, sort of states you know will we reach 100 years I
0: think we will Mm. Over this extensive period of time, there have been many characters come and go. Are there any that stand out as being real legends Mm -hmm. in the field?
1: Yes, um, I mean, there's one that I never saw perform, uh, a man called Ewan Blackley. And Ewan certainly was a great performer of uh, Large Illusions. Um, equally, Harry Sankey, who was more well-known, and a lot of people know the Sankeys, um, Harry would he equally performed on the, the, I think it was the Regent Theatre, but I know he did the Mayfair Theatre uh, several times. Uh, but Harry was the one who could do anything with anything. In other words, you have a glass in front of you, he could do something with it. you have a pack of cards, he would do something. And he learnt most of his um, ability from the war, he took a pack of cards and a, you know, a box of matches and some cigarettes, and he had to do something with them to fill in time while they were waiting, and so that's how he became a professional magician.
0: You mentioned large illusions, mm-hmm. and you know we, we're perhaps used to these days to seeing these huge affairs mm. that are carried out on, you know, live on television, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably not the province of those who are generally working in small clubs or, or, <coughs> or just at parties and so forth, but were there any or are there any that are working on a larger scale?
1: Um, we did in the 2000s. We still had someone performing the Floating Lady, as we like to call it, um, the Guillotine Act. Uh, where the person is tied up or locked up in in stocks and a large guillotine comes down um, and he has to escape before the guillotine comes down, obviously. Uh, But really today, uh, we don't have those large illusions in Dunedin. They certainly are done in other places. Um, The problem is storage, and we don't have the stages of the past. Mm. Um, Certainly when I started out in the 70s, we had school halls that still had a good stage that you could perform illusions on. But these days, the school halls are only one foot high very low down, and uh, you're surrounded by people most of the time, Mm. so it doesn't really uh, work for illusions.
0: If I'm a youngster, I turn up and I I see an illusionist for the first time, and I'm Mm. really captured perhaps Mm. in the same way that you were, Mm. Mm. and I'm interested in making my start, Mm. what's the pathway? Mm. Well, it
1: sounds old-fashioned. Well, no, actually, there are two ways nowadays. Uh, The first, of course, would be the library. Um, They have a good collection of books that can get you started. But I suppose the modern way of doing it is now YouTube. Um, So the best thing to do is if you want to think about a trick with matches, a box of matches, type into YouTube magic trick box of matches.
0: YouTube must be the bane of of magicians, (laughs) the secrets revealed. You are absolutely correct.
1: We've had this debate at several magic circles around the country. In a way, it's quite good because people don't look it up. You see a magician perform something, the last thing you're thinking of when you go home is looking it up on YouTube. I mean, you might get one out of 20, but it's not as bad as what we first thought. Equally, the same can be said for the library books they've got a lot of the secrets that we do uh, publicly, Uh, but no one ever goes to the library to read, you know, how to do, I don't know, the linking rings or sawing a woman in half and so on. But if you do, that means your interest's been sparked, right? (laughs) Well, we hope so, we hope so. And, I mean, from there you can look us up. Uh, Certainly one of the directories at the Dunedin City Council have our contact details. So if someone can do more than 10 minutes' worth of magic Uh, that's our entrance uh, to get into the club. You can come along once, visit us, and then if you like what you see, um, you can join our club by performing a 10-minute performance.
0: How frequently do you get together?
1: Uh, Once a month. Um, We alternate between people's houses and magic moments that's at the bottom of Stewart Street. Uh, We have a special room there. You would have to get permission, obviously, from um, our club members before you came along. Um, But, uh, yeah, we've we've basically, most of the time, we're at people's houses or magic moments.
0: And for anyone who wants to get their hands on the Otago Magic Circle, a history of mystery, the Mm. book that you've been involved in, what do they do?
1: Yes, well, um, it's a bit hard because all the books have sold out. Um, Well done. (laughs) I had a good run. Um, So now what I've started doing, I've sold a couple of digital versions of the same thing. So I guess if if someone does want it, if they want to contact me at Murray M U R R A Y dot R dot Craig at Gmail dot com, um, certainly write to me and I will give them information about a payment and B, um, you know what what they'll expect, what they'll get. <laughs>
0: Murray Craig, it's been a great pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us here on ORFM. Congratulations on the great piece of work that you've done to document this important history. Hopefully it is just one part of an ongoing history for magic in this part of the world. Thank you. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On Air.